Hi everyone, this is Dallin Wortham, host of the Charter School Connection podcast. I'm really excited for today's guest, but before introducing our guest, let's just go ahead and thank our sponsor, Enrolio. Enrolio is an automated enrollment CRM lottery software that will just completely um, increase the the speed that you're able to contact leads, students, um, applicants, families, make sure that they get automated emails and text messages, helping them through their enrollment flow. And it'll just help your front office not have to call and send out so many emails. So if you're interested in speeding up your enrollment process and increasing your conversion rate from website traffic to actual students in your seat, check out Enrolio. But without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome uh, the guest for today, Anders Lindgren. He is the president and founder of School Ops, and he's has some really cool experiences uh, working in the education field, but I'm not going to steal his thunder, so we'll let him kind of explain that. So welcome to the show, Anders. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm really excited to kind of dive into your story. You told me on a previous call a little bit about it, and I was really blown away. I thought, like, what? Who has that story? Who, who has to pick up and learn as quickly as Anders did. So if you could just kind of tell us how you got your start in education and we'll we'll go from there. Yeah, well, as you alluded to, it's a bit of a whirlwind. Um, and so essentially right after graduating from college, um, I was part of this fellowship called the Venture for America Fellowship. And as part of that, I was on a school founding team in Baltimore. And, you know, it's my first job out of college. I'd been like, you know, a lifeguard prior to this. Uh, so did not have real work experience. Um, and so they gave me a role that was something akin to like special assistant to the founder, right? I was kind of like, hey, you're kind of like, got a bunch of energy. You're 22. You're smart enough. Like, we'll throw you at some problems. This should be great. And so I was really excited just to learn more about schools and founding a new school and what this was all like. And then on the third day of my job, um, the person who was sort of our director of operations figure uh, was like, hey, this is really stressful. I'm kind of done with this. Like, I'm out. Uh, good luck. I actually remember asking, I was like, hey, like, you know, do you think we're going to be okay to open this school? Like, there are a lot of pieces that still need to be put together. And he was like, I don't know, man. Like, that really depends on how well you do your job. <laughs> um, you know, I'm 22 years old. So thus commences, like it was August at this point. So we had a month till school opened, um, a series of very high intensity, 100 hour work weeks. Uh, we were able to open school. I ended up in the hospital the day before school started. <laughs> I had some stress related things, uh, but we made it. I got back in there after some emergency surgery and um, we were up and running and continued with, you know, the 100 hour weeks for quite some time. But really, you know, I was Googling everything from like, how do I buy healthcare for my employees? And like, what is a purchase order? How do you build a business line of credit? Uh, what is a good price for 100,000 rolls of toilet paper? How to remediate asbestos, right? Like I knew nothing. Um, and so I started to pick up a little bit of this and really also didn't know what it meant to be a director of operations. So my framework at the time was basically like, if it seems like a big problem, and the principal and executive director are not currently tackling it, it's probably my job. Um, and so I just did everything, right, that I thought needed to happen. And eventually I kind of popped my head up and said, all right, we're, we're six months into this. We've still got some things that we need to figure out, but like the, the most out of control seeming fires have been sort of like brought into a reasonable scope. And let me like 
take a breath and say, how do I do this job? Mm-hmm. And so I looked around, right? And I was like, great, you know, my principal, my teachers, I've seen them go through professional development, right? They go to sessions or get coaches or mentors. Like there's all these different systems for people on the academic side to learn how to excel in their roles. So like, great, I will just Google that and then I'll sign up for it and then I'll know how to do this job. And uh, as you may have guessed, if you're in the operations world, right, that was not the case at all. I Googled it. Nothing existed. There was no professional learning whatsoever. Um, And thus commenced a four-year tour of like going up and down the East Coast, taking the Amtrak to New York and DC, visiting really high-performing schools, shadowing their directors of operations, taking notes on like what works, what doesn't, and just sort of like learning what this job is. Um, And that's ultimately why I founded School Ops, to provide that kind of professional learning for everyone in a structured way. That's insane. So before we continue on down this crazy whirlwind of a story, which man, that was jam-packed full of information. Um, What was the name of the school that you helped start when you were 22? It was called Baltimore Collegiate School for Boys. Um, When we founded it, it was founded with grades four through six um, and grew to now it's grades four through eight. Um, It's had years in which it was one of the highest performing schools in Baltimore, um, but has also had some years in which it wasn't. Um, And we really founded it right to solve this problem or solve, I guess, is, is too strong. It tried to contribute to a huge community network of organizations and people and activists trying to address the fact that in Baltimore City at that time, and I believe still, if you are a Black boy in the public education system, you're more likely over the course of your lifetime to be murdered than to receive a college degree. Um, And so Baltimore is really just a, a place that stays in my heart because I loved my time there. Uh, And also there was such a sense as a community that we have an incredibly important mission and we all have to be 100% in because we need to be there for these kids. Yeah. So, well, that's awesome that you're able to be a part of that experience and, and do that kind of work. But when I was 22, I was like just trying to go to my college classes and like not burn my corn dogs, my frozen corn dogs in the oven. Like, and you were starting an entire school. So I'm just trying to think like, what? I mean, I've heard this. It's not really a quote. I'm paraphrasing it, but pretty much someone said it's good to have naive optimism. I think it was Mark Rober and where he was saying that it's almost better not to know a lot of things and get started on projects because you're open and you aren't set in your ways and you don't know how hard it is. So you just kind of go in with this optimism and then you figure out how hard it is. Then you look back and like, if I would have known how hard it was, I might not have even started and I wouldn't have gotten to this rewarding point in my life. So I'm almost glad that I didn't know everything. Can you confirm that or deny that in any way? Was that? Oh, yeah. I, um, in fact, I remember really uh, vividly when I interviewed for this job, it was a whirlwind of an interview. So I got to Baltimore. I drove there from Philly uh, where my family was and I arrived at 9 a.m. So I was up at, you know, 630 to take that two hour drive. And I decided, hey, I'm going to stay in Baltimore that night um, because I want to get to know the city if this is where I'm going to live. So I 
sort of found a friend of a friend who was willing to let me crash on their couch. And there was no end time listed for the interview. So it's like, oh, I'll show up at night. I don't know, maybe by noon I'll be done. And so I walk into the office and this guy's like working crazy hard. A million things are happening. He's like, hey, what do you think of these business cards? It's like, oh, I like them. You know, maybe you could tweet this. He's <laughs> like, great. Insights to the assistant. Like, all right, tweak that thing and then, you know, send them off. I'm like, oh, great. I got to contribute to that. And then we went to the physical school building, you know, still not at all habitable already because I was interviewing it was, you know, before uh, school opening was was close at hand. And he was like, great, just look at each of the rooms and figure out what subjects they should be. I was like, oh, you mean like, you know, if like it's got a sink, it's probably a science. He's like, yeah, exactly. That's perfect. And gave me a bunch of note cards. <laughs> and I wrote on the note cards, like what the room should be. I thought it was just like an exercise to interview. But on my first day of working and the note cards were still there and like they had turned into those rooms <laughs> and so like, it, you know, it basically wasn't an interview. It's like a free day of work uh -huh. and it goes until midnight. It's like, we just keep going. We go down to DC, there's a panel, have dinner, like work out all the stuff for the school. And I keep texting this friend of a friend, like, Hey man, I don't know if like, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't even know you. I'm crashing your couch. Like, I'm not going to be until really late. And then I finally get to their house. We go up, this guy's got a roof deck and we're looking out over Baltimore. He's like, yeah, it's a great city. And I was like, yeah, kind of a whirlwind of a job interview. And he was like, yeah, do you think that that might be indicative of like how the job itself might be? And I thought <laughs> about it for a second. I was like, nah, probably a fluke. <laughs> and just, I thought about that moment often afterwards, like, huh, that guy was really onto something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we should listen to the friend of a friend a little bit more. Um, yeah. that's, that's really funny. And so you got started with maybe the naive optimism and you kind of were just tackling one problem at a time. I don't know of a charter school administrator that isn't putting out fires or having 10 balls in the air all at the same time. What advice would you give to someone when they have more problems than they do time? How did you get through that? Yeah, I'm going to give the... um the advice that sounds really cool coming from, you know, a home office. Um, and then I'm going to talk about what implementing it actually looks like. Right. Cool. So the advice that sounds cool and you can read in any book or hear at any Ted talk is like, you've got to prioritize. Right. Um, and you just cannot solve everything at once. Um, and so you've got to figure out like, where is it that my time is going? Where is, is it that my time should be going and how do I reconcile those worlds? Now that sounds cute. Um, you know, if you're not physically in a school with like emergency drills and irate families coming in and student issues all the time. And so um, what I tell folks is you've got to do a few things. First of all, um, really try to make a list of what you will not do, right? And especially when you're really overwhelmed, it can actually be easier to say yes to everything because it just gets added onto a pile that in the end, we know we can't possibly do all of anyway. It's almost like debt maybe where you're just like, yeah, it's another 50 bucks. I'm already 50,000 in debt. What? It's like, yeah, and it just keeps accumulating. I think that's exactly the right analogy, right? So it's like, if you are in a job that has like a little less chaos, which director of operations is not that job, no matter how systematized you are at it, right? It's always going to be a chaotic job, but if you're at a nice like nine to five, 40 hours a week type of situation, whenever someone pushes something, you're like, ooh, that's going to put me at 42 hours a week. It's really easy to say, nope, just like with the debt thing, like, hey, I've got no debt. I don't want to take on any debt. I actually have to say no to this assignment. 
when you're already working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and you know you're not going to finish everything anyway, just add it to the pile. We'll see if it happens, right? And yeah. so it's about like, I love that analogy, starting to get out of that debt by saying, hey, I know it'd be really cool to have this family event, but right now we're completely focused on enrollment and recruiting. And this is not an event that meets that goal. Like we cannot commit to doing this and just slowly saying no to things. Um, and then once you've said no to enough things, it's about building some muscle on your team about what you say yes to. So in any school, if you have the time to prioritize, you can completely change a system, depending on what system it is, not like technology systems, but an in-school system, like arrival, dismissal, that kind of thing, in three to four weeks, right? And setting your team up for little wins where we say, hey, we're going to keep X balls in the air. We're just going to do the minimum we can to like make sure these things all happen. Here's the list of things we're not doing. But in the next month, like we are going to nail arrival. It's been completely messy. We've had family incidents and issues happen. It's setting the tone for a really chaotic start to the school day. It's related to our breakfast and we're not getting our NSLP reimbursements because we're not keeping track of which kids are coming in and grabbing breakfast. Like we are going to fix this situation in the next three to four weeks. It will empower your team so much to feel like they can actually focus their energies on one thing prioritize and nail it. Um, and so if you can carve out the time, being able to name a team priority, hit that goal together and say, see what it looks like when we set a priority, we work towards it as a team and we achieve a result. That's really powerful to be able to do as a leader. That's awesome. Yeah. It reminds me of the pretty common quote of just like that humans, and maybe I'm getting it backwards, but we overestimate what we can do in a day and underestimate what we can do in a year yep. where we say like, Oh, I'll do this, 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 this. And then we don't get any of it done that day, but it's better to say like, I'm just going to get this one thing done today. And if I can get one thing done every day, that's five things done. Or like if I can get one thing done this month, that's like a big priority at the end of the year, that's 12 big things done. Um, So I love that. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's like, of course, as operations people, there are so many things we have to keep on life support, and that just is the role. Um, but what can we do to try to say, you know, get this pile of things a little smaller, make priorities, and accomplish big things in the months and years ahead of us? Yeah, so that I assume that you've probably become a master of saying no. What would you tell someone who's kind of a people pleaser like myself how would you instruct someone on how to professionally appropriately say no without sounding like, you know, you know, that grumpy old dude that doesn't want to take on yeah. any projects? That's a great question. I was actually just chatting with one of my mentees about this. Um, so whenever somebody brings me something that I know is likely not going to fit into my priorities for the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. I typically won't frame it as just, no, I'm not doing this. I will come with my set of priorities and say, hey, you know, over the next week, I think I'm going to be able to get these top three priorities done. And then this was my list of three things that like, it'd be nice if it happened, but probably won't. And then here's my long list of things in the parking lot that just aren't going to happen this week. Now, if you want me to take on this new task this week, can you help me identify which of these three things in my must-do priorities should move down to the parking lot, right? 
And so I think that's really helpful because sometimes you as a, you know, member of a team might not have the full context. And so, you know, you might be getting an ask from a principal or somebody else and it feels like, oh, this is not a priority. Um, let me just say no to it. And that's hard, but you can do it. But you may actually realize, you know, that the principal is bringing you something to say, oh, you know, this is actually, sorry, I didn't frame it this way, but it is critical for, you know, meeting our academic goals or our enrollment goals. And they can actually say, okay, that does need to be your first priority this week, but I understand that you have other priorities and we can move those to next week or next month. And so it provides us with that framework to say no, where your manager or someone you collaborate with is looking at that and they may actually say, now that I see what you've actually got on your plate, yeah, you're right. This isn't something I should be adding to it. But it also gives space for people to say, hey, this truly is the top priority. You've got to do it, but I can work with you to make sure that we clear some space out um, so that you can focus on this. That's awesome. I, I love that. Um, the next question that I have for you is when you said that you kind of got on a train and you just went and visited some of the top schools, um, what were some things that you learned and um, what advice do you have in general for shadowing and learning? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually have a template I use to uh, sort of prepare for school visits. Um, and so I'll have that available uh, on my website um, and I can send you the link to that as well. And yeah, so people are that. totally welcome to use that. Um, so I do, you know, as much preparation as possible for my school visits in terms of thinking through like, who do I want to talk to at the school? And if I can reach out ahead of time and say, hey, I'd really like to interview your office manager, like set up those, you know, meetings and times if that's available. And then also think really specifically about what systems I'm looking at. Um, so that's one thing. I take a million pictures. So I always ask ahead of time, like, hey, is there anything you don't want me to photograph? Uh, and usually it's like, hey, just make sure no kids are in the photographs. Um, but I take pictures of like, if there's tape on the floors that indicates how transitions are supposed to go, if there's clear signage in the main office about how people are supposed to sign in, or if there are, you know, maintenance or facilities people and they, you know, conduct certain reviews, when do they sign in? Um, and then I also um, really make sure that I have like a, a sponsor on site who, you know, I'm not, I'm not just walking through the school, but someone is anchoring. And at the end of the day, I want to have a debrief with them so I can ask a million questions and be like, I notice that, you know, you all have this you know, lunch slash gym space, and you go through this crazy transition where just 10 minutes after a gym class is done, like tables wheel in and everything gets perfect and the lunch line gets set up. Like, can you talk me through how long it took to get those logistics tight? You know, can you send me the emails and the logistics plans, et cetera, that you gave people to instruct them on their role and getting this kind of thing right? Um, so that's sort of how I set up the school visits and and think through how to make the most of them. Um, and in terms of what I've learned over the course of the school visits, I would say a lot of what I've learned is that like, as far as the operational leaders go, there's sort of like three levels. There's like, things are in chaos, right? You walk into school and you know, like, ah, you know, you ask the teachers and they're like, yeah, our operations leader, they're not quite cutting it. Like they, they really can't make it happen for us. And that's a bummer, right? But that's, it's obvious when that's happening. You're like, yeah, the operations isn't really making it happen. Then there's level two, which I think is where most people get stuck, which is operations hero. And that's like, you ask the teachers like, hey, how's operations going? And they, they can name the director of operations. And they're like, this person is my hero. Like 
you know, I'm starting class and my projector isn't working and I text them and they're there in two minutes and they fix it. And, you know, it's always like, we're just about to run out of paper and they run to Staples and they get us extra reams of paper for the copiers. And like, this person is on it. They are the heart of the school. We couldn't function without them. And like, yeah. it feels good to be that person because everyone's like, oh my gosh, like they're the best, right? Um, but the real place you want to be as an operations leader is the place where you ask teachers in the school about operations and they're like, oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't really think about the operations of this school. And then you dig deeper and you're like, oh, well, you know, is your technology work? And they're just like, well, yeah, of course it works. Why wouldn't it work? It's like, oh, well, well, and do the printers work and the copiers? And is there always paper? And they're like, yeah, of course they do. Why wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you almost want to be invisible as an operations leader would be like, and it, you have to go through every level to get there. But I think a lot of people stop at that hero level because they're like, I'm doing everything I can. Everyone recognizes that I am like key to this school functioning. And you want to get to the place where people don't even realize that there are schools where, oh, I guess maybe in some schools, your technology wouldn't work all the time. Yeah. Um, and you want to be able to just sort of like float above it all and manage the systems that make all the behind the scenes stuff invisible. I love that. <clears throat> it reminds me of a quote from Atomic Habits over my shoulder, where it says, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. Yeah. And so having the systems in place so that when you do take a vacation or you do need to get that herniated disc replaced, like the world doesn't crash. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. The number one DOO I ever like shadowed, who's still my hero. I'd asked him, I said, you know, well, you must be holding this place together. Like if you disappeared, what would change? And he said, nothing. (laughs) And he's like, yep, I just, I keep it all, you know, maybe after a year, if no one replaced me, but, if I disappeared for a day, a week, a month, we'd be fine. That's awesome. I love that. That's so good. And so um, you, before we started recording, you mentioned a couple of resources. Um, I would love to get a list of maybe books, websites, website template, or like page templates that you have anything that would be useful to someone listening to this and wants to actually take action instead of just saying, oh, that was a good episode, and then just moving on with their day. How could they take some of um, some, some action with some resources? Yeah. I mean, my number one recommended book for operations is Checklist Manifesto. I do it in all my trainings. I think it is sort of the Bible for operational excellence. Um, so hugely recommend that. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll do you one better. I will, I will sponsor it. If you have any listeners who are like, Hey, I'm on a tight school budget. Like I, you know, I don't know that I can just, you know, get a copy of this book. If you email me under the schoolops.com schoolops will send you a copy of the checklist manifesto. Everyone deserves one. Um, so that's my number one book. And then uh, I'm going to put some, some pressure on myself to finally get this out the door, but schoolops has a bunch of resources that are, you know, templates, just like the school visit template that I mentioned, we have event planning templates and standard operating procedure templates, et cetera. And we've rolled these out in the trainings that we do for individual districts, schools, CMOs, states, et cetera. Um, but we're, we're getting all of those publicly available on our website. And so um, I don't know what the turnaround time is for publishing these interviews, but my, my hope is that by the time you click go on this, um, I will have all that stuff on the school ops website um, because my feeling is, you know, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. We've all been there. Um, everyone should have access to high quality templates so that they can just like 
sleep one extra hour in their operations journey instead yeah. of, you know, staying up at midnight being like, I know somebody has, you know, built a template for running a parent teacher conference, but I don't know where it is. So I'm just going to start from scratch myself. Yeah. I love it. Fantastic. Yeah. We will have links to the checklist manifesto and to your website so that they can check out those templates. Um, some random questions that I have for you. Um, and if you don't have an answer to all of them, that's okay. Um, but what is your opinion on meetings? Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think that, gosh, and in schools, it's different, right? Because you're all physically in this space. I think that in schools, what we end up with a lot of the time is a lot more impromptu meetings than we need and a lot less scheduled meetings than we need. And so I really believe in set a dedicated one-on-one -on -one time. If you're a director of operations with your principal, they're always checking in. Um, set a dedicated one-on-one -on -one time with anyone that you manage and as much as you can hold that time sacred and create systems that allow that to happen, right? If you set a dedicated one-on-one -on -one time with the office manager and they're the person who answers the phones, but you have no system for someone else to answer the phones, you haven't actually committed to that meeting, right? Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, I would say, you know, be focused on priorities and when possible, get pulled into less impromptu meetings, less of just, hey, could you pop into my office, my classroom? Let's talk about something. You know, you can say, hey, is it quick? If not, I've got a huge priority day. I've got a, uh, you know, complete, but can I get on your calendar for tomorrow or something? Uh, but also recognizing that those meetings are inevitable. What I would have as a director of operations, I had like a flexi for my week and I had it on my laptop and I would be like, walk around the whole building with my laptop, like in the crook of my arm, everyone thought I was going to drop it, but I did have like a hit list for mm -hmm. every person in the building. And so <laughs> if I got pulled into an impromptu meeting with someone, I wasn't going to walk away from that meeting. Like, Oh, I totally forgot to ask them. Like I could mm -hmm. go down and be like, okay, my hit list for you is one, two, three. Uh, and so when we did get out of our scheduled meeting cadence and we got thrown into the chaos of impromptu, I made sure I made you know the most of that time. That's awesome. I've never thought of doing that. That's that's great. And you just have that in like your notes on your phone or something like that? or Yeah, I basically had a Google Doc called a Flexi that I refreshed every week. So every week I would have like each day and what my priority was for that day, scheduled meetings I had and my agendas for those meetings. And then I would just take notes of like everything that happened through the day, like action items, pieces of information, et cetera. And then below, like each day, I just had that hit list of everyone I needed to talk to. And then at the end of the week on Fridays, I spent half an hour, an hour, sort of like creating a copy of it, creating a version for the new week and just going through it to see were there any action items I didn't hit. If I had a hit list for people and I never saw them in an impromptu way, do I need to email them these items? Like, and just making sure that like going into the next week, I processed all my information from the previous week um, and sort of set myself up for success going forward. Yeah, I love that. And I like how you focused on sometimes the inefficiency of impromptu meetings, because I had never really thought about that previously. But um, just a few months ago, I had a big question for one of my mentors. And I reached out in an email and I said, hey, can I get on your calendar? I'd love to be able to go over this big decision that I need to make with you. And he said, yeah, sure. And then right after he agreed to the meeting, I listened to a podcast where someone talked about that same situation where 
how to reach out to a mentor for advice. And they said, oftentimes you actually don't need the meeting. It's kind of a waste of time. You're wasting their time and your time. What you should do is write an email to the mentor saying, this is my problem. This is what I think I should do. Um, what are your thoughts? And so like, I think it should be this, 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 and then don't send it. Reply to that email as if you were them. And then I replied to my question as if I was Bruce. And I said, yeah, like you shouldn't do this. Like, why would you ever, like, I wouldn't ever give that away. That's like a really important thing. Uh, I would maybe try these different options. And if it really is a good opportunity, these things would happen and you don't have to stick your neck out so far. And then I replied back to him and said, actually, I don't need the meeting because I just replied to myself as if I was you. And I think I have my answer. Um, and the impromptu meetings are sometimes just the stress of the moment. You just want to bring somebody else in and it's not effective and it's not efficient by any means. So I love that. Yeah, that's a great reflection. And yeah, we often have our own answers. And so, you know, as a director of operations and now, you know, as an entrepreneur who, you know, I sort of, I am my own big boss. And so I don't have anyone I can reach to above me and say, you know, hey, this is my recommendation, but you know, you can choose whatever you want to do. Um, a really good habit for me was big decisions are big decisions, right? It's like, you got to have a good process for them and ultimately you've got to make them. But we face a million small decisions a day. And so one thing that was really good for my discipline was saying, hey, this is a small decision. It doesn't really matter that much but we do have to make a call and it could become a big issue if I just let this linger and there's a lack of clarity and it never gets you know, made and nothing ever happens. So what I would do is I'd say, look, it's a small decision. I don't need to solicit more information. I have all the information I need. I just need to make a call and I would give myself a timer. I'd say like five minutes, 10 minutes. And just say at the end of this, I have to decide and I would free write. I'd, and I'd basically do exactly what you did where I'd write out like, here are the pros and here are the cons and here's what I think I would do. And then at the end, I would change to italics font. And the italics was essentially what you were saying, responding to myself and saying, okay, like my decision is, or I think what you should do is, um, and then timer would go off and I would just have to move forward. Cause I do think we're so stressed in the operations world in, in schools that the decision fatigue is unbelievable. And sometimes just saying, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to recognize this is not even in the top five decisions I need to make this week. And so the key is to make it and move on. It's not that it has to be the perfect decision. Let me set a time limit, frame the question and answer it myself. I don't need to kick this to a Friday meeting with my principal. Yeah, I love that. I think that's great. Um, I guess that would kind of fall in the category maybe of like failing fast and mm -hmm or or not being paralyzed with you know the paradox of choice and picking a decision and i think um i've become more liberated as an entrepreneur myself and a business owner when i say i'm i think this is the right choice i'm going to go with it but it's not the end of the road it's not like i made this choice and i put it in the river and now it's in the flow of the river and i have no control over it's like i make this choice and then a consequence happens and i then i can make another choice i can either like 
apologize or I can explain why, or maybe it worked out really well and I could continue going that route. It's not like the end of the world. The decision isn't the end where it's like, oh, I hope it went well. It's like, no, you can continue to influence your decision. It's important just to keep moving though. Um, yeah. So and I will add for ops folks who are listening to this and they're like, well, I just can't imagine being in that situation uh, because I don't feel like I have the autonomy to make decisions. That's also a very real problem that I see a lot of operations teams face is feeling like every last little thing has to be approved by their principal or their executive director. And so this advice, you know, I think is applicable if you feel like you've got a measure of autonomy. Um, however, if you feel like, well, the culture of our school is, you know, the principal has say over everything, then I think you can take some steps to start to create those one-on-ones with your principal and start moving from those one-on-ones being, here's the list of decisions I want to make. Are you okay with this? To, hey, let's explore a bucket of work. Let's pull apart, you know, enrollment or facilities or nutrition or whatever. And can we talk about what are the things that I can make a decision and send you an FYI email about? Like, hey, just FYI, <laughs> I, you know signed a contract with our uniform vendor, you know, uniforms increased by 50 cents since last year. It's because of inflation. FYI, as opposed to having to take this to the meeting and being like, hey, it's the uniform vendor we've used for five years. You know, the price is going up by 50 cents. Are you okay with that principle? Um, and slowly starting to get to a better collaborative space where you're able to carve out zones of autonomy, but also recognize the places where actually it's really critical that you come together before making a decision. And that way your meetings can become more productive where you're really digging into the things that require collaboration and decision-making. And you can autonomously take care of a huge checklist of things that really the principal just needs a, hey, FYI, this happened, not a, I need your thought partnership about this 50 cent price increase. Yeah. I, I love that. I've never really thought about that, but the power of like an FYI. <laughs> Yeah. And, and we've got a tool for that as well that we can share with people in terms of like how to structure and agenda that out um, and like create some real clarity around roles and responsibilities so you can achieve that. That's awesome. Cool. Um, another question that um, popped up in my head is the idea of, um, I'm not sure if you read the book Extreme Ownership by Jocko Wilking. I think it's Wilkling or something like that, but um him and Leif Babin talk about just the importance of like taking on ownership and not just saying like, oh, like it's their fault or it's this fault or they didn't do this. Um, I feel like at schools that because there's so many roles and so many hats, it's easy to kind of go like, yeah, but it's not my fault. Um, how do you have any advice or insight into how to take ownership of like your role or anything along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. So when I coach schools, I use a framework called the MOCA framework. Um, and what it stands for is M is for manage, O is for own, C is for consult, H is for help, and A is for approve. And basically with every bucket of work that has sort of operations being part of it, I force the team to go across and say, for the principal, the director of operations, the office manager, the special projects manager, the assistant principal, whoever's in the mix, who has which letter, right? And 
you, you know, and you don't need every letter for every single bucket of work. Some ones don't have a consult or don't have a help or whatever, but every single bucket of work needs an owner. And what you recognize in doing this exercise is sometimes you run into issues because two people think they have ownership. And then you really need to talk it out and say, okay, it looks like the principal and the director of operations, both in their version of the MOCA chart, put O under uniforms. They both think they're the owner of uniforms. It can only have one owner. So maybe it's if the principal really cares about this, that the operations person is the owner and they drive this forward, they make the contracts, et cetera. And the principal is A, they're an approver, right? But maybe it's, hey, the principal actually does not need to be part of this. And the operations director really is the owner, approver, everything. They just run with this. And so you uncover those problems where there are multiple owners, um, but you also uncover problems where there's no owner, right? Where it's like everyone just kind of working on it. And it's like, oh, well, you know, I thought, you know, as the operations person that the deans were in charge of you know, our, our dismissal procedures, because, you know, they kind of deal with like culture and discipline. And so I thought that was kind of their thing was they made sure that all the kids got, you know, sent off. And the deans are like, oh, no, I mean, you know, we'll handle culture and discipline stuff. But I thought you were sending off the logistics of like, you know, how we do bus dismissal and how we make sure kids get picked up. And then you realize, okay, well, you know, there's been a miscommunication here, but there needs to be an owner here. Um, and so let's have a you know team conversation about who makes sense to be the owner. I love that. Cool. Um, I, I'm really glad that I asked that question. I wasn't sure if I was going to get an answer for it because um, it's kind of out of left field. But man, you you came out slugging. Love um, some ownership. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last question that I have written down on my notes is: Do you have like a takeaway where it's just like, Dallin, this takes five minutes to implement? And it will help them so much. Like there's a lot of hard things that take weeks and you have to make it a priority and work as a team. Is there anything where someone who is listening to this can just take it and go like, man, that took all of a minute, two minutes, five minutes to implement. And I'm so glad that I did yeah. it. That's a great question. Like yeah. Um, there is a extension that you can attach to your uh, Gmail called Boomerang. I think if you're okay. a nonprofit, it costs like 10 bucks a month or something. And what Boomerang does is when you send an email, you can check a little box that says, if you haven't yet replied to me by X date or in X amount of days, please return this email to the top of my inbox. And so as an ops director, you are constantly haranguing like vendors and facilities and maintenance people and all kinds of folks, right? And so instead of having to keep in my head, like, oh, I asked the maintenance person to, you know, come on site and fix this thing. And then if I forget about it two weeks later, I'm digging up the email like, oh my gosh, they never responded to me. I would use Boomerang just to say, hey, if they don't respond to me in two days, send us. And I have, you know, the receipts now of like seven different times, you know, every single day I'm emailing this person, hey, just circling back. Hey, just checking in. Hey, just wanted to know if you've seen this, right? And it basically puts my ability to be really, really annoying on steroids, right? <laughs> and like takes it out of my mental space. So instead of keeping a list of the 50 emails I need to send, it's just popping back and I'm just circling in and it's five seconds of my time. So I highly recommend that Chrome extension. It costs a little bit of money, but it saved me so many like 
conversations over email that could have just dropped off. And then I didn't realize until it became an emergency again that I never got a response um, and bring them to the forefront. So I'm just constantly nudging people who aren't getting back to me. Cool. I love that. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, well, Anders, this is pretty much all that I have. Do you have any other thoughts, insights, stories, resources that you'd like to share before we wrap up? No, I mean, you did a great job of pulling it all out of me. So thanks so much for the time. Um, and the last thing is just, you know, for anyone who's listening, feel free to reach out to me. Um, obviously, as School Ops, my organization, we do trainings, we provide resources, all of these things. Um, but at the same time, right, I'm just about making sure that schools have what they need to have excellent operations. So for anyone who's like, oh, you know, I'm not ready to do a project with School Ops or have a contract or anything like that, like, I'm happy just to be a thought partner, you know, the person you bounce something off of and you say, Hey, like, I just need a, you know, 30 minute call with someone to talk through, like, I can't get to the bottom of this operational thing. And I can just say, Hey, here's a template, you know, this will, this will help. Or, Hey, I know someone who solved that problem a year ago. Let me connect you with them. Um, and so don't hesitate to reach out. Um, you know, anyone who's listening to this, like I've been in that op silo, it can be very lonely. Um, you know, you are, you are welcome always to, to, you know, pick my brain and have my ear and, and I've been there and I, I want to make sure that I'm there for you because it's the hardest work. So I love that. Yeah. Go to schoolops.com. Um, we'll include the link to the website and Anders email in the show notes. So you can check that out. Um, yeah, I've been highly uplifted by what you've shared. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks for your time as well. This has been great. Yeah. Catch you later. All right, have a good one, Dallin.